strategic thinker, brain of the future. How are you, mate? I'm very good. All the better to talk to you this fine morning. Um, we were just talking about before we, we came on here, um, the last time we caught up, you didn't want to seem too alarmist and actually say a bunch of stuff that you had predicted, which I'm sure is in the back of your mind. So do you feel stoked that you called it or gutted that it's come to pass? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, in my line of work, sometimes when things happen, you really don't want to take too much credit for it. Mm. Um, I've done work with some clients where sort of disaster scenarios have come to pass extremely quickly so the Christchurch quakes but in a way that we didn't quite anticipate and it's interesting to look back on those at hindsight and say you know it's, it's always horrible to be right um, in this situation I think when we talked last I mentioned all these sort of complex systems interacting in the world in a way that's really hard to predict and that um the list of global risks was too long to keep track of right now and any one of those could trigger mm. and that's what's happened i i've been wondering about you know f future thinkers and but like i know in media when i have always thought about things i'm like man this thing's going to happen and when it does and then you get this like instant little bit of like yay i'm right at the same time in media it's always like yay i'm right and look at them do it in this scenario it's like yeah, I'm right, but it's shut the world down financially, medically, commerce, community, flip an entire gong show. What do you think's yeah. been the biggest surprise that you've seen from humanity in the last, uh, since, since we went on lockdown? Like what's something that you were like, holy shit, I didn't think that we would dot, dot, dot. Um, so what I like is the way that people have come together uh, in some situations to help each other and to congratulate and applaud people that are doing, you know, work that would not otherwise have been recognised and do it in a, you know, whole of society way. Um, I think that's fabulous. Um, what has also surprised me is, I mean, it shouldn't really surprise me, but it has, the way people like Boris Johnson ended up catching COVID, which mm -hmm. is extraordinary. Um and yeah, it seems like what hasn't surprised me is how Trump has reacted. But you know, there's a very low bar for that. It's um, I keep thinking about the doco they're going to make about this time with because you know, like when we're so reactionary, it's all happening, and, and everyone's just like, ah! and then when you finally wait, wait and pause, and then it's like you know, in, in sports, they'll wait five years before you can vote on someone to be in the Hall of Fame. This going, you'll wait 10 years until there's this new normal and whatever, and then be like, and the the crazy thing is, is it's all been documented, every bit of comms, every bit of everything. So the dissection of humanity's stupidity in many ways, and also humanity's resilience and awesomeness and these these crazy stories you haven't heard that haven't got to the mainstream, I'm, I'm really intrigued of the netflix doco in 20 years <laughs> like oh, i might man. make it in new zealand right we're the only place to be open shortly for <laughs> man so maybe i'll we'll go here for a sec so instantly when the world's never seen a, a moment that is pushed pause to all commerce everywhere all community everywhere the entire thing's just gone to pause now it's never happened before like this commercially in your head, how do you see this playing out commercially for New Zealand and the world after after this? Even just regardless who comes online when the fact that it stopped 
and then now has to start from zero. How do you see this actually playing out? Because I've asked quite a few people about this and there's no real exact clarity because it's never happened before, but someone that's future seen trends and the, I guess this butterfly effect of, of what roles when, how does your headspace see this, this, this next phase going for humanity? So if we um, have a look at that graphic I talked about oh, earlier. Yes, we've got, we've got, we've got graphs. Yeah, there you All go. Right. So this is how I see uh, what I'm calling the great reset play out. And so essentially what you have there is um, a group of leaders who are desperately trying to preserve the bounds of their existing knowledge and react in ways that would have been rational in December or January. But, you know, things are already starting to fall off the cliff. And in the meantime, no one's looking behind them because the cracks were already appearing in the system beforehand. And so, you know, behind them, the edge of that cliff, the whole cliff is falling off, not just the edge of it. And the pandemic is just undercutting and exacerbating some of the issues that were there before. And so, you know, as I said earlier, this is the great reset. This is an opportunity and a risk. And I don't think anybody's got a playbook for how this is going to work out. But I do think there is a way in which you can think about this that actually becomes constructive rather than reactive. Yeah, the um, it's an interesting image that, right? Leaders trying to save the day, not realizing that they're still stuffed. And you kind of then think, is it, you know, in certain businesses that, I guess the, the way to call it could have you know pre-existing conditions for either weakness in their in their in their um, in their balance book or just weak products and services. They really got exposed through this and won't make it out the other side. Um, bad leaders have been exposed. Good leaders have created glue and tribalism within their businesses and their teams. Um, that have scaled care remotely. That have created empathy to to their organisation to their employees. And then you th you think of a lot of the others that that haven't made it out some of them we're never going to anyway so this is actually just exactly your point just expedited the process of their failure um but unfortunately amongst all those who are shit that don't deserve to be there there's those that do deserve that have still been steamrolled so it's quite it's fair and unfair in so many ways how do you how do you balance the that tension of this is good net net but also shit right now like it's it's a, just a, you don't know how to feel i, I th i've been thinking of it like i i wake up half hyped and super positive around what this new world can be and then half totally depressed because it's a shit show for so many H how do you feel on on the the tension of both sides with like how to feel or with change right yeah and um this is really interesting to your earlier point um when i've been talking to leadership teams and um, boards over the last two or three years maybe longer uh one of the images i've always talked about um is uh, a picture of a cover of Forbes magazine in 2007 with the chief exec of Nokia on it, and he's smiling. And the headline says, one billion customers, Nokia is the king. And, and I always said to leadership teams, who's got a Nokia phone now? You know, 2007, they had one billion customers, right? And people look around and sort of go, ha, ha, ha. And I said, well, what this means is, you know, you don't know who's skinny dipping until the tide goes out. And now the tide's gone out and yeah. everything's exposed. So all these structural weaknesses, all these flaws in the system. And the other thing I talk about 
probably just in the last year or so, um, is this idea of um, realistic optimism. So actually, you can't go thinking that um, somebody else is going to fix this and put your head in the sand. And you can't wake up um, thinking it's all going to be okay because, you know, life goes on. You actually have to have this middle ground where the way ahead is going to be really hard, but there is a way through. And humanity's faced these big problems before. Um, and there was this great term coined in the 70s by a think tank in California. And the term is the anti-catastrophe. And so the anti-catastrophe is something humanity's faced before. Um, the ozone hole, um, thermonuclear war, population bomb, you know, they all could have been catastrophes, but we avoided them. Anti-catastrophes tackled through realistic optimism. And that's where I think we are now. So like you, some mornings I wake up and go, hey, it's sun shining, it's great, kids are happy, off we go. And then about 15 minutes into that thought process, I go, oh, that's right, it's a, it's a pandemic and everything's shut down. Mm. And then you keep on going. Yeah, I, I just really think about how communities are going to reshift re and re refocus after this. You know, in your head, how do you think communities will evolve after this? I'm from Christchurch, right? So people <laughs> yeah. from Christchurch have got really good stories to tell about this. Um, and, you know, interestingly, after the quakes, almost everybody in Christchurch hugged. Right, there was no handshakes, even with strangers, huh. it became a hugging culture. And um, I think we'll see a lot more of that emerging after lockdown finishes. Um, the other thing is that in Christchurch, a lot of the best stuff was community-led. So uh, it wasn't top-down, it was bottom-up. Things like um, gap filler, um, filling the rubble, student volunteer army. These were all responses from the public that didn't require government intervention. They were some of the best things to come out of the earthquakes, not the billion-dollar infrastructure projects, uh, many of which are still to be completed nine years later. And that's that's another really interesting lesson coming out of this, which is the duration of recovery. And the the long tail, I put a thing up, you know, the long tail effects that we're going to see for, for community with relationships and mental health. And, and I've yes. been thinking of these three waves of this first wave of the medical side, let's get everyone safe, let's lock it down, let's uh, beat the virus, okay, cool. This next wave of, okay, commercially we've gone to zero, trade stuffed, tourism stuffed, hospitality stuffed, food and beverage stuffed, one-to-one uh, -one personal professional services stuffed, all those things stuffed, but that's a medium-term thing which can grind back, say, over, you know, the first one, let's say it's three to six months, the next one kind of, you know, three to six years. But this last wave of community, the relationships that have been destroyed, the relationships that have been made, the um, the the safety of and, and mental and um, damage to kids that have been un unsafe environments and partners and uh, stress and people going to bankruptcy and stuff in their, their whole mental health up like that shit lasts a flipping lifetime, you know? So I'm really, I just, I, I hope that like to, to your exact point around Christchurch, you know, years later, people still today have full issues mentally from something that happened a while ago. And I just ho don't, I hope that New Zealand as a nation just doesn't skip forward, skip the chapter into the the new world that we're in, this new New Zealand, without really being taking pure care of, of that, that community element um, after it. So that's one, that's one thing that I, I am 
worried about um, as well moving forward for, for New Zealand. And it's not a dark thing. It's a reality thing. Yeah, and certainly in Christchurch, um, people from Christchurch say this uh, sort of half-truthfully. Um, earthquakes are fine. Insurance companies and EQC are not. And that was the major cause of stress after the yeah, quakes yeah. was the um, complete inappropriate response from institutions around structures that should have provided support. And that's where the majority of stress has come from. Well, they, they're, they're like, hey, you, you're supposed to be there to have, have my back and support us yes. and then up feeling like you're rolling us and not giving a shit. Stuff you guys and it almost... In many ways, brands have done a similar thing from marketing side. A lot of brands have gone for the sell, sell, kill, kill, not realize they've alienated their customers and pissed them off the wrong way. And what was built out of just the way that they did business has actually, you know, jeopardized a lot of their future commercial upside as well, you know, just through, I don't know if it's empathy or context or it's just, just common sense or just a bit of, I don't know what it is, but yeah, I would hope as well the same way it doesn't get down to that point too, right? Yeah. And so... You know, to put Christchurch in context, what we're going through now, uh, Christchurch was a local disaster while the rest of the country functioned. What we have now is a national disaster in terms of economic damage while the rest of the world melts down. How do you, yeah, on that, how do you think the rest of the world is going to go? Like my prediction I've been thinking of, obviously we need to get through our bit first, like really good. Mm. But then in different parts of the world, it really feels that there's going to be multiple waves coming if there's not unity between the entire nation to do it the right way. There's going to be flare-ups in the second and third waves of, of all the stuff. And it, I mean, how do you see this playing out globally with other different leaderships around the world and, and what that actually is going to mean for the economy? So um, if you bring it down to what it means for New Zealand, there's a way to think about this as a framework. And I wrote about this uh, in an article in the spin-off um, late last week. And so there's, um, there's lessons from Christchurch. You need to think about three timeframes simultaneously. So the first is the immediate necessary response, and New Zealand's doing it very well. The second is how do you stay four to six weeks ahead? So stop being reactive, start thinking proactively, and kick off some things which will make a material difference. And then the last... Uh, horizon need to think about is how do things only emerge stronger from this so where are the opportunities for new zealand you know if we become the first country in the world that's covid free and we're a trading economy where are the opportunities and that gets back to your question which is uh, where is the rest of the world going how are they responding um, are they markets or opportunities that new zealand can can benefit from what are our capabilities in New Zealand? And then is there any way that we can use government spending to catalyze how this opportunity spin up? So there you're talking about things like electric aviation, plant-based protein, vertical farming, um, heavy renewables, all these sorts of things. But I don't think it's any point just throwing all these ideas at a whiteboard. You really need to have a bit of a structured process around which one of these actually makes sense. Um, after the quakes in Christchurch, there were lots of ideas that you know got thrown out. I mean, literally thousands, and only a small handful actually stuck and made sense. And of those, I would say one or two actually made it through the the bureaucratic nightmare that became the recovery in Christchurch. 
to that point around this, it's almost like this collective vision of of what New Zealand could do. How would you, how would you, I guess, reframe what government is or can do? If exactly to your point, Roger, if you're saying New Zealand's first country in the world COVID free and we're open for business, we're going to be back in business. What levers do you think they could they could pull to to make New Zealand that you know global magnet of commerce to help drive business in at at to to make New Zealand win even bigger? Like how how would you shape that? How, what would you do? So I think there's a really interesting. Um, uh, sort of clue in how this has gone to date. So um, having Rob Fife, for example, working alongside government in the um, crisis response centre sets a really good precedent for how public sector and private sector can work together in this space. So private sector can move so much faster um, and throw resources at things. So Sam Morgan and Stephen Tindall have been brilliant in this space, working alongside uh, a bunch of us behind the scenes. Um, and that sets a precedent for how we might go forward. Public sector sort of sets the regulatory policy framework. And what needs to happen now is a level of agility in the government response, because we're heading into a bank of fog. And when you're heading into a bank of fog, you can't just turn the headlights up to try and see your way through. You just get noise back. Mm -hmm. So what you actually have to do is think about how would you um, – uh, set out a series of um, small, fast boats that run parallel to the mothership that when they uh, start to get through the fog bank, you can throw more resources at it and then start to change the course of the mothership to go through the fog bank. So that means um, experiments, um, agility, fast responses, rather than uh, committees that take one and a half, two, three years to have a response, then make a recommendation and then then something happens. So to put that in context, there is, um, or there was, I think it's still going anyway, a process to re-examine the um, behaviour of insurance companies uh, during the Christchurch quakes. That process hasn't even concluded yet, and we're almost 10 years into it. And so you look at the Royal Commission from EQC, that's you know nine years after the event. Government can't run at that speed if we want to make the most of being a COVID-free country on the world stage. There has to be a huge level of agility and acceptance of risk and a tolerance for ambiguity and experimentation in order for New Zealand to actually capitalise on some of those opportunities. Surely, if we're talking about this sort of train of thought, it's if leadership's created speed for a nation to attack this, then surely the same bravery and leadership is going to still be present to, to help create new solutions for the problems which we now they now have internally to do it right like surely that it will be an extension of okay cool well we've done this so why can't we dot 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 do you think that w are going to be the things happening behind closed doors that higher up the food chain to be able to attack this the right way or else it's lost opportunity right it, it will be lost opportunity because if you're that slow it's taking you a decade to get the shit done everyone's gonna be like stuff that you know yeah and that's one of the lessons, again, from Christchurch, is that um, CERA, which was the um, Earthquake Recovery Authority, started off lean and nimble and just ballooned and started slowing things down, going slower and slower until, you know, people in Christchurch looked at CERA and just went, oh, it's just a CERA thing, you know. And, um, and in the corporate world, I have a phrase for this, 
um, which is corporate antibodies. So there will always be people who try and um, stifle or stop innovation, um, stop innovative thinking and sort of pull the ship back onto a course. Now, in some situations that's required because you need to have a, um, a well-understood path and a course for the mothership to go on. But this might not be one of those situations. This is a situation where you absolutely need to stay agile and responsive and tolerant to risk because no one has traveled these waters before. I mean, literally nobody has traveled these waters. There is no precedent for today's society traversing these sort of, of waters. It's funny when you've got leaders and no one knows the map of where anyone's going to yet. <laughs> they just know it doesn't want to be as shit as it has been. So it's like, all right, we trust you, do your thing. Um, yeah. So reshaping this new world or this new New Zealand that we've sort of been talking about, how would you reshape New Zealand after this to be the the bigger, best, bravest, fastest, most efficient? Like how, how would you re reframe New Zealand to make it a new New Zealand done better? Uh, there are lots of lessons to learn from history. So there's an organization in Wellington, a think tank, I've got a high, high level of respect for called the McGuinness Institute. And it's done some fabulous research looking at past attempts to try and create a vision for New Zealand. And there's some really good lessons coming out of how this process works or doesn't work and how resistant government is or the public are to these processes. So first of all, learn from those lessons and then look at developing a way forward understand is it possible to create a vision for the country and you know even in corporate environments vision creation is notoriously um, difficult but if you do it right it is possible to get people behind a common shared view and the trick is not to make it so specific that people start nitpicking the details and not to make it so vague that it's meaningless so there's sort of this sort of mid-level where you can actually have a narrative which ties together people in a common framework that allows them to move in their own way, a sort of understanding, you know, what what the country's about. So you start with that and then use that to guide um, work going forward. And I've had some experience doing this um, uh, with very large organisations running massive change programmes over a decade. And those programmes have been incredibly successful because we set up this mid-level abstraction layer of you know not being too specific not being too vague but really seeking to create this large-scale alignment and it works it really works there's going to be a lot of that thinking happening as we, as we speak as we go you know going from working down the different levels when it goes to, to pause and it stops and then it starts again and you know we're we're in for a marathon to try and pull back I think New Zealand's probably, a, you know, we are not that it's a it's a race, but in comparison to most other countries, New Zealand's got a great start to this thing, but it's clearly a marathon. What what makes you most? What's your biggest fear for New Zealand for this next, let's say, three years? So um, you're right about a marathon, and um, once again, all the lessons from Christchurch uh, come to um, bear again here. So if you can compare disaster recovery to a road trip in a car, Christchurch was like going to your favorite beach that's two hours away and someone turns up at your front door 
and the people in the in the car, it's Morris Minor, and they say, We're going to the going to that great beach, you want to come along, everyone piles in. And about ten minutes into the journey, you realize you're stuck in the back seat between EQC and the insurance company, neither of which have showered for the last month, and they can't sing a song to save their life. Somebody says, it's okay, we've got a new car to swap into about now, another mate's getting in. Turns out the other mate is the government of the time. Uh, it's a 1985 Toyota Camry. Uh, it has one cassette uh, in the stereo, and you're still stuck between EQC and insurance in the back seat. And you can't wind the windows down to get any fresh air. That's Christchurch, right? What we have now is we're on a road trip from Bluff to Cape Reinga. We're in a pretty good Camry this time, a late model Camry, uh, but we haven't even got to the first oyster stand yet, and people are quite excited. That's that's how you think about this. So it's a long, yeah. long journey, and along the way, you need to make some careful decisions to avoid the roadworks, to go visit the places that are awesome, you know, to bring new people into the car, but also understand this isn't a you know one or a two year thing. This is a long, long time. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's like. I feel there's been a, bit, a little bit of naivety as well of people coming out of, you know, lockdown to this, what the future could be to get back to work and yada, yada, yada. And I said to someone, I said, the reality of this is if you're in a business and you've been off the grid for say six or six weeks, eight weeks, and you pop back in and you've still got 20%, say if you have 30% revenue, you lose 70% of the people that have been coming through the doors. If you've been out of the game for like two months and then you have 70% loss in revenue, you will not have the same looking business for the next eight weeks after that. And I think there's been quite a bit of naivety to, and a lot at the employee level thinking, oh, you know, like been at home with the fam, got some payout, I go back to work, it's going to be all sweet. And it's like, no, 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 no. After you're back, every business is now getting reshaped. So there's going to be this total new change in, you know, ownership and leadership and structures and staffing and restructures and, and potential um you know uh you know shutdowns of in, of different of businesses if you were a business owner right now small business owner in new zealand and you're thinking about the future of how to either safeguard or, or, or look at this next next wave that's coming up how what advice would you give them for the for the headspace on how they should potentially approach it strategically for this 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 next wave phase there's a really interesting exercise i've always talked to my clients about and it essentially goes like this. A simple version is knowing what you know about your industry and about your business and knowing what you know about all your competitors and their businesses, if you were to start again with a clean sheet of paper, how would you create a business that would kill your own business? How would you, yeah, to kill your own business, like a startup against itself. Yes, it's a thought experiment. Right. What would you do differently if you're starting with a clean sheet? And so that gives you this sort of mental freedom to say, actually, you know, what? I wouldn't carry that stock because of low margin. Um, I don't have a really good um, online presence. I don't know social media. Um, that might be a big thing for me. Um, it's really fascinating. So about a year and a half ago, I had this poll on Twitter and um, I was really wary of all this hype around how digital has reinvented every single business. So I said, here's the challenge, name me a business that has not been reinvented by digital. And I, I said, hairdressing. 
So then, I, then someone sent me this example of this hairdresser who used to work in a salon, and what she did now, she worked from home out of a converted garage, but she found all her clients through Instagram because it's a looks-based thing, right? Yeah. So her marketing budget was zero. She had her own business. She had low overhead. She had her own boss. So starting from scratch, how would you start again? Mm. And I think a lot, a lot of people will be doing, doing that in this next little bit. What gets you, you, that's what you're most fearful about before. What gets you most excited for the next three years for New Zealand? If, so, so the, the big thing that's the variable that no one has control over right now is knowledge of the virus. So no one knows if you're immune, if you can catch it again, if it's mutating, all those things. However, if it's stable, by stable I mean We've stamped it out in New Zealand, for example. There's no community transmission. Cases are on the down. And we become the first large or medium-sized COVID-free country in the world. Then there is an extraordinary set of opportunities for New Zealand because we are no longer isolated. We are rare. And we have the purest form of rarity. And then that becomes really interesting very quickly. And we get a whole new set of value out of a rarity proposition, and that excites me. Yeah, the the I've been thinking about magnets and halos. Like, what's the you know the magnet effect that New Zealand can put out to the world to try and you know pull in all this different opportunity, or whether it be you know um, different countries that are in lockdown, but if we're open for business and we've got um, space and they need staffing, how could we create all this new hub for international companies to set up shop here? Um, hiring our talent, hiring our staff, transferring different skill sets and upskilling remotely to be able to get their businesses working here. And the halo effect of, you know, what moves, kind of ninja moves can New Zealand do, um, not only potentially from the leadership of, of Jacinda with how it's done, but brand New Zealand externally that creates that halo effect that can last a good couple of years after this thing as well. You know, um, yeah, I, I would I would definitely, definitely agree on that. Um, so it turns out that pure New Zealand might be a really interesting brand all of a sudden again right 100 percent pure yep um i just hope that the big machines that go slow that have gone slow don't act the same way for the new world we're in because they literally might be missing probably one of the biggest the biggest potential commercial opportunity for new zealand globally ever if, yes. if for it and so yeah so if you're a, so you with your energy right now where are you gonna where are you gonna i guess put your energy and where are you prioritizing your time for this 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 next phase to try and help shift the dial for new zealand uh really good question so since mid-march early march it's been a lot of time thinking about the immediate response. So sort of that first wave, you know, how do you spin up ventilator production, drive-through testing, uh, thermal cameras, all these sorts of things. Um, Now I've sort of removed myself from that and now really thinking about that long-term piece and the opportunities. So spending a lot of time uh, building collaborations. So Rod Jury, for example, was fully behind this. Uh, There's some other people coming on board as well but really trying to spend time uh, getting senior cabinet ministers to consider the opportunities and consider how this needs to be perhaps a different way of responding to anything that's within 
um, the bounds of knowledge of any official working in government right now. Yeah. I'm very intrigued to see if they can, if the big dogs can step up to the speed that's required, or else it will just be an, a massive loss opportunity for New Zealand and the world, right? Like yes. that's the, that's that's the hope that it doesn't. Yeah. Um, appreciate your time, man. It's been always always good yarning away, and uh, you know I'm sure you you hate to tell me so that you're right, but you're kind of right. Um, <laughs> I guess that's that's what you do. If if people want to um check out uh you know you work or if they want to connect up with you, what's the best place they can go? To, where can they go and um. Uh, to try and link up with you and what you do? So um, a lot of my stuff now is going on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, I work with uh, clients, so a lot of my work's also private director clients, but um, I'm online, obviously, uh, com. Very easy to find on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Um, so I'm, I'm posting stuff on LinkedIn and Twitter that's that's relevant, that I think people need to see for them to understand the scale of what's happening. And I'll close by giving you one uh, example of that, which is post-GFC in the States, it took two years for unemployment to reach 15 million in the States. And the aftershock of that is still around today. In the last two months, unemployment has risen to 24 million in the States. Right? So think about that in terms of the global impact this is having and the opportunity for New Zealand to come out of the stronger if we indeed stay COVID-free. And like you say, that is once in a generation opportunity. On that note, mate, geez, lucky you've got the good Rolodex with the people in power who can move the needle, man. It's exciting. I, I, I'm putting you in charge of saving New Zealand. Well done. You're, you've been knighted. There you go, Roger. You're good to go. Go forth and conquer, my friend. Bye-bye, Captain. <laughs> Love your work, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers brother.